you have to find a balance between pure efficiency and resilience. Businesses need to prepare for an inflationary environment. You have to think of the supply chain in less of a linear way, but more in an environmental way. Hi, I'm Jennifer Reingold with World 50. This is the third and final part of our mini-series, The Scarcity Economy. While the current imbalance between the supply of goods and people and the demand for them may eventually ease, something has changed. This shift is from low price to higher price, from hyper-lean to redundancy, and to a realization that one company can be affected by not only its suppliers, but its suppliers' suppliers. That doesn't mean that all companies are in the same boat. Greg Creed, former CEO of Yum! Brands, says that scarcity doesn't affect everyone in the same way. If you think about the whole economy, it's still a consumption-driven economy, right? And everyone at the moment's getting caught up the difference between what I call sales and transactions, right? Or organic growth versus inflated growth. There's a cost increase because of the commodity cost. So, you know, Whirlpool have taken, I think, publicly, I don't know, 8.5% probably increases this year. But at the same time, and this is what I think people don't understand, is that because we can't, they can't get the parts, they're not promoting because there's nothing to promote. So the consumer would normally have got a 1% to 2% increase and then the $50 off washing machine discount because, you know, everyone's got plenty of capacity in their factory, so they're trying to, you know, grow market share. What's happening to the customer today, and I, I can't believe the customer doesn't get it, is that people are not passing on the full increase, but they're passing on the commodity increase. And at the same time, there's less promotional activity going on. And so you're getting double whammy. You're paying for an increase to cover the costs of commodities, but because you don't have enough supply, as you can't make enough washing machines and dryers, you don't promote them because why promote something you don't have? So there's going to be a moment in time, right, where the elasticity of demand stops and then suddenly yes. you, don't have, you don't have this growth any longer. I mean, you've got the inflation. How do you plan for that? If you think about human behavior or even economics, it likes things in harmony, but it's never in harmony. More than just economics. <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah, like life and economics, um, in an intellectual sense, there's a, a place of harmony. But the problem is you're never in harmony. You're just trying to find it. There's another end result here, right? How do you change the consumer's expectation slash behavior for yeah. all of this, right? Because, again, we, me wanting to buy my washing machine, still operate completely in the notion that if I want it, I can get it. Yeah. Right? You have to re-educate me. Yeah. And now I live in, you know, communist Eastern Europe, relatively speaking, to where I lived two years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I'm building a new house and the joke was I'm on the board of Whirlpool. Well, even I get my washing machine and dryer, right? And I said, well, and even the CEO said to me, did you get them? I mean, even he wasn't sure that as a board member I was going to get my washing machine and dryer. But then the question is, is uh, are there opportunities? Like, so take cars, right? So instead of buying a new car, you would argue that for the advanced auto parts of the world, this is a huge opportunity because people are going to have to fix their cars or someone's going to have to fix their cars because mm -hmm. they're, going to, they're going to last longer. But there also still comes the point when you have to eventually get rid of it, right? So the other interesting thing about washing machines and dryers is unlike because you only purchase them every seven to ten years, you actually don't know what you paid for it last time you bought it. That's true. So there's also a difference in terms, in, just in terms of frequency. We we all react to gasoline because we buy it once or twice a week. The same could be said for you know food, right? We buy a lot of food on a very regular basis, right? The frequency with which the consumer purchases is also going to change how the business has to react. So actually, that's a very interesting way to segment this 
these yeah. are everybody's facing the same thing at the same time, which yeah, I mean, not really feels like they are, but how they deal with it is different. What used to be considered black swan events now seem to happen uncomfortably often these days. Ron Sugar, who is a director on the boards of Apple, Uber, Chevron, and Amgen, recommends that despite the cost, organizations' supply chains have to find the right balance between resilience and efficiency. Well, we call these the tail conditions on the curve, you know, the bell-shaped curve. But when they happen, man, the impact is huge. So, so companies are paying more attention to that. And then as you think about the whole scarcity economy, the ability to compete effectively means you got to be able to get your stuff procured, assembled, built, delivered to your customers. Otherwise, you're not going to get paid. The difference is that you can envision a nuclear exchange as a condition. And you say, well, what the hell do I do about that for planning? Or war with China, God forbid, what do I do with that? But increasingly now, there are levels of smaller microaggressions. For example, a cyber uh, ransom attack on a pipeline, shuts down a pipeline for a week. Who saw that coming? Mm-hmm. So these are all part of the, the risk scenarios that companies have to deal with. And unfortunately, instead of in that black swan that will never happen, these things are happening all the time now. And so as a board member, you want to say to your CEO, what are what do you see as the risk factors that can affect you? What are the likely ones? What are the unlikely ones that could really ruin your day? What are your plans? What are your contingencies when these happen? How do you have the crisis management team put together? What's the order of battle for your team if something like this happens? Who speaks for the company? And you have to have them actually tabletop their exercises for a variety of scenarios. For a big earthquake on the San Andreas Fault, we'll have a different kind of responses than a ransomware attack on the special formula of your pharmaceutical that's curing cancer. Mm -hmm. Boards, let's say that we're incredibly focused on efficiency, which by the way, I think they would be rewarded for, right? Because it's more profitable and good for everybody. Should be, if they haven't been changing that perspective to focus on resiliency and, and spending the money, by the way, and taking the hit that may come from doing that. I think the big lesson for all of us in the last few years is that you have to find a balance between pure efficiency and resilience. And resilience comes with a cost, yeah. but not having resilience could come with a horrifically larger cost. And yeah. so there's no formula for this. And that's why you have a board and a management team. And for each business, and each company, you have to figure out what's the right, right balance. You have to have alternate sources so that you are not entirely dependent upon one place. That has a cost. You know, why would you want to have two factories doing something when one can do it and you don't have to train two sets of people? Mm -hmm. Isn't it more efficient? Well, it is efficient, but it may not be as resilient. Businesses need to prepare for rising prices, says Bob Eckert, a board member at Amgen, Levi Strauss and McDonald's. At the time of this recording, inflation stood at 7% in the U.S., its highest level since 1982. Meanwhile, across the Eurozone, that number is 5%. Scarcity economy is here and it will be here for a while and we have to be as flexible and adapt and deal with it as best we can, but not to overreact. Cycles kind of come and go and this is part of a cycle related to the last part of the cycle, which was the pandemic and things shutting down. So we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I think it's important to just understand where a particular business is, what the issues are, how we can deal with those issues right now, and then sort of set up guideposts, if you will, for the future so that we don't overreact in one direction too far one way or the other. 
costs are rising. Inflation is here. It is here for a while. It's not as temporary as some of the politicians or the pundits might say, because there's no reason to believe they're going to come down anytime soon. So I think businesses need to prepare for an inflationary environment. And one of my concerns as a board member is that we've got many people in middle to senior management ranks who have never really experienced inflation. So I tell the story back when I grew up as a young brand person in the 70s, our opening business plan line was prices are going to go up, fill in the blank, 6%, 8%, 4%, whatever the number was. Before we even talked about the P&L and the business plan, we talked about what pricing we needed to take to cover the cost increases for the upcoming period. And I think that's what businesses need to do today is get ahead of inflation as best they can. Unfortunately, that's going to mean prices right now in a lot of places. But it is what it is, because one of the ugly things about inflation is once you get behind, it's really hard to catch up. I heard an interesting observation from a fellow World 50 member, CEO of a company on whose board I serve, who said, let me just talk about the war on talent for a minute. The war is over and we lost. Talent won and they have new demands and new things they expect and we're going to have to accommodate that if we want to retain the talent. So I see that in all areas across all businesses. The talent is in short supply, as are many goods and some services, and prices are going to go up. So recognize the prices are going to go up. Don't overreact, but recognize the new reality and deal with that in your plans and programs. Let's talk about the overreact piece of it. What would be the definition of overreacting? Overreacting is, to me, sort of the economic cycle of all things. So there was a time where I spent a little bit of my career in the meat business and dealt with the hog cycle or any commodity cycle where you see things are in short supply. So prices go up. And as a result of prices going up, things uh, supply comes back and then we have oversupply and prices come down. So that's my point on guardrails is don't overreact to today's conditions, recognize today's conditions and try and set up scenarios for how you might deal with things as they change in the future. One of the things I'm particularly worried about in the future is the potential for a legitimate economic downturn. Overall, one of companies' most common responses to the crisis has been to increase pricing, with 78% of respondents saying they are doing this either a lot or a little. Wage inflation is causing businesses to invest in more technology and more automation. Frank Blake, former chairman and CEO of the Home Depot, says one of the biggest hurdles for companies is going to be simply adjusting how they deal with inflation, because most executives have not had to think about this for about 30 years. What is actually happening is not a supply issue, it's a demand issue. And the data actually is very supportive of that. Mm -hmm. Even the commodities that you think of as under tremendous pricing pressure and showing inflationary aspects, the production is above where it was in 2019. The issue is the demand is far above where it was in 2019. And for most of the companies I deal with, this is an extraordinary time when the consumer is just far better off than she or he was in 2019. There's over a trillion dollars in additional wealth 
versus the start of the pandemic. I agree with you. Just based on the interviews of this alone, every single interview I have had and with all practitioners, basically, at different levels of this chain has said the same thing, which is that the prices have gone everywhere and they are moving the price to the consumer, period. And that there is literally nowhere else for it to go. Right, exactly. And it's not, I mean, I'm no economist, but it just stands to reason that if you put out a lot of money and that isn't connected to any increase in productive capabilities. I mean, you got more money chasing the same number or slightly higher number of goods, you're going to get inflation. And then, which I think you can see everywhere, is the rising wages. What hasn't happened yet, but you've got to believe will happen, is the wage rates have consistently undershot the rate of inflation. And just because the unemployment numbers are so low, it is so difficult filling jobs. you got to think that the wage rates are going to start to exceed inflation or at least get closer, which is further fueling the inflationary pressures. I think the issue for companies is less how to adjust for scarcity than how to start thinking about an issue no one's had to think about for 30 years, which is inflation. And you're right. I mean, this generation has never experienced this from a from a business perspective. So what do businesses need to do, either organizationally or in terms of talent, to figure this piece out? They can't just all find all the people who were around in the 70s, right? If you look at the typical discussion in a boardroom now, the typical discussion around capital allocation is about growth and innovation. So how do I invest into growth and innovation and, you know, do the next best thing on, you know, delivering within five hours or the next best thing in uh, the website and all the rest? At some point, you start to pivot and say, gee, I got to start investing in the productivity of my workforce. I am now, I now see that this is not a blip. It's not going to settle down and I'm, my wage rate is going to be, you know, the same kind of puddling two to three percent a year. I'm actually going to face some significant wage pressure. How am I going to how am I going to get more productivity in my labor force? So really what this means is automation, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, totally, totally. The ongoing supply crunch has forced many companies to rethink the entire way they do business, starting with an admission that they may have focused too heavily on the customer at the expense of the other two key relationships, with employees and with suppliers. Linda Candia, Chief Procurement Officer at Johnson & Johnson, says, this is all about the people, isn't it? The supply chain is a sensor. It's like a barometer. It tells you what's happening in the world. And it tells you how well things are working around the world because supply chains and global companies like ours are integrated and networked around the world. We have customers, employees, and suppliers around the world. And when things become unsettled, that's a warning signal around something isn't right and we need to do something about it. We have to think of the supply chain in less of a linear way, but more in an environmental way. And and think about the three critical relationships that are associated with the supply chain. You have customer relationship management, you have supplier relationship management, and you have employee relationship management. And now these digital tools allow us to operate right in those relative environments. Let's look at the past 10 years post the financial meltdown. A lot of the investment 
has been overly indexed towards the customer. Rightly so, right? The customer has been king and new channels have been created through Amazon and you know, yep. companies like Walmart now have multi-channel approaches to being able to provide value to the customer. But that overinvestment in the customer was at the expense of the supplier and the employees. When you look at the customer relationship, the supplier relationship and the employee relationship in this next 10 year post pandemic era, I can't think of any board that isn't going to be saying we should be running our supply chains differently than we have in the past. So let me just narrow in on that for one second, which is, I mean, this is depressing, by the way. <laughs> but, no, but we'll, it'll get better. It'll get better. Okay. So, what, but what, if all of these things are here to stay, or at least how, what do you have to rework and rethink and redo? When big things happen, who's going to be in the boat with you? He's going to keep rowing in the same direction as you are. It's all about the people. This whole crisis is about people, is it not? It's humbling, isn't it? In a way. I mean, the assumption, again, being that humans were, you know, kind of replaceable. And suddenly, I mean, now some people will argue with you that this is not going to be the case for X period of time, that it will shift, that people will need their jobs and that the leverage point will change again. But you don't think so. I don't think so. And I just don't I just don't see an era of going back to where it was. I see an era of great transformation. And you look at post-World War II era, you look at the post-Cold War era, you get two things. You get uh, a change in technology drives a change in society. And a change in society is all about people and people drive business. The scarcity economy is clearly having a massive impact on the way business is done. We hope that you have found this research and executive perspective helpful as you address these challenges. Please share your feedback with us or ask further questions by contacting info at thescarcityeconomy.com.